With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Squad cars. General Motors and their dealer organization throughout Southern Africa proudly bring you the drama, the danger, the thrills, and the facts when the long arm of the law travels in squad cars. The story you're about to hear is true. Details are supplied from the official case filed by the South African police. Only names and places have been changed to protect innocent people involved. Saturday, November the 10th, 3.20 p.m. On a sun-baked stretch of National Road between Margate and Port Chepstone on the Natal South Coast, two figures slouch dejectedly in the meager shade of a tree. One of them wears a school blazer, the other has an open-necked shirt. No wind ruffles the trees. The air is moist and oppressive. Gee, Dan, I feel like I'm sitting in a steam bath. Every time I move a finger, I can feel the sweat pouring off me. So, what makes you think it's any different for me? I didn't say it was, man. Don't lose your rag just because... Shut up! Listen. It's a car coming. Yeah, and and from Margate, too. Man, I hope he stops and gives us a lift. We've been here for hours. Come on, Pete. Show my old school tie. And get that thumb of yours moving. Yeah, sure. Here he comes. It's just one bloke, no passengers. Hmm. Come on, Mr. Everhart. We've got to get to Durban by tonight. Come on, slow down. Slow down. You're no good piece of rubbish. Hey, take it easy, man. You know what I'd do to that fat slob if I got my hands on him? I'd kill him, Pete. So help me, I'd kill him. The two young men have been waiting for a lift now for over two hours. The younger of the two has taken off the school blazer, and he sits limply on a milestone, his hands drooping down between his knees, his head sagging. The second man paces restlessly at the side of the road, kicking at loose stones with a barely controlled fury. Two hours. Can you believe it? More than two flaming hours we've been stuck here. 
Must have been a hundred cars gone past us. Not one of them's even slowed down. I'll cool off, man, Dan. Cool off? This ruddy heat tells me to cool off. Oh, that's very funny, Peter. I'm going to die laughing. Ach, man, you know what I mean. You're just making me even hotter that way. You're pacing around like that. Oh, can't you pack it in for five minutes? A hundred cars, eh? A hundred. And plenty of them with just a driver and no passengers. Do you think I'd stop and give a man a lift? <laughs> Not them. See, it makes you sick. What have you taken that blazer off for? Oh, you try wearing it for a while. See how you feel. Me? I mean, ridiculous. I take one look at me and see I wasn't a scoopy. Are you different, Pete? You've got a young-looking face. Yeah, such a bright idea of yours anyway. Sure they stop for a school, kid, he says. <laughs> a fat lot of use it's been. So? Is it my fault there been such a lot of crumbs driving along here? That blazer trick's always worked before now. Yeah, well, I wish it'd start working now. I'm fed up to the teeth with hanging around here. Well, welcome to the club, John. Welcome to the club. Hey, here comes one now. Quick, put the blazer back on. Move, move it. For Pete's sake, stop fumbling around like an old woman. Come on. Well, keep your wool on. There, that's it. Oh. Okay, now let's see what luck we've got. I'm flashing that dazzling smile of yours. Be giving a full personality treatment. Oh, come on, baby, slow down, will you? Give us a break. Come on, come on. Hey, he's stopping. Pete, he's slowing down. Uh, oh, bless you, mister. You're an angel in disguise, man. Come on, uh, grab the case, Pete. You up in front with him, I'll climb in the back. Okay, sure. Yeah. Oh, thanks, mister. How far are you chaps going? That's a dim. Oh, but it doesn't matter. You can drop us off wherever you're heading for. Well, you're in luck. I'm going all the way to Durban myself. Hop in. Gee, well, we've been waiting for hours, mister. And a day like this, it's no joke, believe me. Uh, nobody gave you a lift in all this time? Not a sausage. We were starting to think we'd be spending the night in that same place. Well, better late than never, eh? Oh, you can say that again. <laughs> Gee, you've got no idea how... Hey, Dan. What the heck are you doing? Shut up, Pete. Why? What's it? Feel something... Cold at the back of your head, mister. <laughs> it's not my finger, believe me. Dan, but what are you doing with that gun? What's it look like, lame brain? Oh, just you listen here. Now, mister, you listen. Now, listen carefully. Yeah, you want to end up with your head in one place. You just do exactly what I tell you. You got it? What do you want of me? Dan, please, put that gun away. This isn't funny. Who said it was supposed to be funny? Look, I haven't got very much money, but you can have it. You you can have all of it. (laughs) No, isn't that nice of the man, Pete? Dan, listen to me. Please, please listen to me. You don't know what you're doing. Put that gun away, please. Shut up, Pete. You're sounding like an old woman. Listen, I'll give you anything you want. Just, Just don't... Pull that trigger, please. Start slowing up, mister. Pull over to the side of the road. What What are you going to do? You'll see, mister. (laughs) You'll see. Saturday, November the 10th, 11.15 p.m. Central Police Station, Smith Street, Durham. Constable Benjamin Swimmer is on duty in the charge office. This particular Saturday night has been relatively quiet. A few arrests for drunkenness and disorderly conduct. One suspected prowler reported in a block of flats on the Esplanade. Constable Swimmer hears footsteps moving hesitantly onto the wooden floorboards of the charge office. He looks up. Uh, uh, good evening. I, I don't know whether I've... Come to the right place or not. Oh, what can we do for you, madam? 
Well, it's a, it's about my brother. You see, he should have been home hours ago, and well, he hasn't uh, arrived. What's your name, please? Oh, Gordon, Gladys Gordon. Gordon, Miss or Mrs. Uh, miss, I'm not married. And your address, please, Miss Gordon. Seventeen Ridgeview Drive, Berea. Ridgeview Drive, Berea. And your brother's name? Arthur. Arthur Gordon. Mm-hmm. And his address? Three Freemason Road, Margate, on the south coast. I see. And now you believe he's missing, is that it? Well, I, I don't know. You see, he was coming up today. He drives up every Saturday and spends the weekend with me. He usually gets here sometime between six and seven, but not tonight. I thought perhaps he'd met with an accident and you people might know of it. Well, it could have been something more simple than that, Miss Gordon. His car might have broken down. Oh, no. Arthur would have telephoned me if anything like that had taken place. He's a very considerate man. That's why I thought it must have been something quite serious. Tell me, have you had any reports about accidents on the South Coast Road? Well, yes, there have been a couple... What sort of car does your brother drive? A little green Norton saloon. It's about two years old. Well, then, let's have a look at these reports. Excuse me. No, no. That was a truck and a tractor. Not this one, either. No. Pedestrian, big American car. Not this one. No, two cars, a Brentwood and a Fleetway. <clears throat> So it doesn't look as though your brother's been in an accident, Miss Gordon. Do you know definitely whether or not he left Margate this afternoon? Oh, yes. I telephoned his house and spoke to the maid. She said Arthur left at about half past three. Oh, well, uh, that is strange then, isn't it? Could he have stopped off somewhere else first? Well, he could have, I suppose. But there again, he would have let me know about it. He knows I get worried about him whenever he's late, and he wouldn't just... Leave me in the air like this. Uh, you said um, whenever he's late. You mean this isn't the first time he's been late then? Hmm? Oh, Arthur's been late arriving once or twice, but never more than half an hour at the most. Certainly never four or five hours. I'm really very worried about him. All right, Miss Gordon. Let's have a description of your brother, please. His age? 41. Mm-hmm. Height? Oh, Arthur's quite tall, about six foot, I think. Weight? Is he a thick-set, slender, average? Quite, quite sturdy, really. I think he weighs perhaps 190 pounds. Colour of hair? Brown, balding at the back. And colour of eyes? Also brown. You've uh, no idea what clothes he might be wearing, huh? Well, he always travels in the same clothes. At least every time he's arrived, he's been wearing the same outfit dark brown tweed jacket and green slacks, open neck, white shirt, and, and, and his brogues. He always wears brogues. I see. Well, that's quite a lot for us to go on, Miss Gordon. Uh, we'll put out a missing person report on your brother and see what turns up, shall we? Thank you. I've been most grateful. And and should you hear of any further... Uh, don't worry, Miss Gordon. Don't worry. We'll keep you informed. Sunday, November the 11th, 6.42 a.m. In the charge office at the Scottborough police station, 
the duty sergeant is filling in his nightly report prior to handing over to the day shift. Up to that point, nothing eventful has taken place in the Scotra area. But the pattern is about to be broken. Scotra Police, Sergeant Gates speaking. Well, this is David Adams. I'm speaking from my farm a couple of miles out of town. Cool waters on the left-hand side of the main road going into Dublin. Do you know the place? Oh, yes, Mr. Adams. I've seen your gate plenty of times. Uh, what can we do for you? You'd better send somebody out here, old man. One of my boys found a car hidden in amongst the cane down next to the main road. I've sent him back to keep an eye on it until you get there. Yeah, what uh, kind of car is it, sir? Uh, one of those little four-door Nortons. Anything special about it, Mr. Adams? Well, just one thing, Sergeant. There's blood all over the front seat. In a police car heading towards Scottborough are Constable Marcus and Captain Bernard Wilson of the murder and robbery squad. Although it's still early, the sun is fierce and blinding, and all the car windows are open. Uh, what was the name of the farm again, sir? Cool Waters. It's about two miles before we get to Scottborough. The entrance will be on the right. Ah. No, I don't suppose there's any doubt that this is Arthur Gordon's concert. No doubt at all. We checked on the registration number. It doesn't sound too pleasant, sir. Not with that report of blood all over the place. No, not pleasant at all. But no sign of Gordon himself. The Scottborough boys have searched that entire area. But there are an awful lot of cane fields around there. The body could have been dumped almost anywhere. You sound uh, quite sure that there is a body, sir. What do you think? A normally reliable man fails to arrive at his destination on time. The next morning, his car's found abandoned with bloodstains spattered all over the front seat. It doesn't take a genius to come to the right conclusion. No, I suppose not, sir. Control to car 37. Come in, 37. Over. 37 to control. This is Captain Wilson. Over. I have a message for you from Brigadier Lombard, Captain. The Port Shepston police sent in a report less than 10 minutes ago. They found the body of an unidentified white man in a ditch just outside the town, sir. The report states that he was wearing green slacks and a brown sports jacket. Brigadier Lombard thinks it could well be Arthur Gordon. The body of Arthur Gordon has been brought to Durban and lies in the government mortuary. Miss Gladys Gordon has identified the body as that of her brother, and she's now being treated for shock. In the office of Brigadier Lombard, Captain Wilson makes his report. Gordon was shot at point-blank range in the back of the neck, sir. A thirty-eight caliber bullet. We've no doubt the shooting took place where the body was found. And the car was then driven by the murderer to Scottborough. The fuel tank was just about empty, and he probably didn't want to take a chance on stopping at a garage. In case the attendant noticed blood, I suppose, and remembered the driver. Find anything useful at the scene of the crime? I'm afraid not, sir. We searched for the empty cartridge case, but there was nothing doing. We thought it might have been ejected into the car, but there was no sign of it there either. Hmm. The original Shepson report said that the man was unidentified. No papers or anything like that on him? No, hmm? sir. No papers, no wallet, no wristwatch. Should there have been a watch? Yes, sir. I've spoken to Miss Gordon. She says she gave her brother a very expensive gold watch as a birthday present two years ago. Says he was in the habit of wearing it at all times. It seems pretty obvious that robbery was the motive. He even cleaned out whatever small change he had in his pockets. Miss Gordon, give you a description of the watch? Yes, sir. A gold Renata, 17 jewels, with a dead man's initials engraved on the back. A.G. There won't be any trouble in identifying it, if it turns up anywhere. Well, get a description circulated to jewelers and pawnbrokers in case the killer tries to sell it. That's already been taken care of, sir. Any theories about the killing, Captain? Yes, sir. Miss Gordon told me her brother was in the habit of giving... Lifts to hitchhikers. 
If he had room in the car, he always stopped for them. It seems more than likely that Gordon gave a lift to two or more people, and he paid for it with his life. Why two or more of them? Why not just one man? Gordon was murdered in the car, and the shot was fired from the back seat. If there'd only been one man, he'd have been sitting up front, sir. Yes, I agree. So you're working on the hitchhiker angle, are you? Yes, sir. I've given a story to the press. There should be a front-page splash tomorrow morning. They'll ask for anyone who saw any hitchhikers on that road at the time to get in touch with us. Oh, and also in the vicinity of Scottborough yesterday evening. They might well have tried to thumb another lift after they dumped Gordon's car. Hmm. If they did, Captain, we might very well expect another murder. As soon as the morning newspaper hits the streets, reports begin coming into police headquarters concerning hitchhikers on the South Coast Road the previous Saturday. Standing thumbing a ride between Margate and Port Shepston. One was wearing a school blazer of some kind, but I don't remember what color it was, I'm afraid. We've got a beach cottage about a mile before you get to Shepston. Gave a lift to a couple of chaps and picked them up in Margate. Dropped them at the turn off to the cottage. My wife said she thought the fellow wearing the blazer looked a bit old for a school kid, actually. My husband suggested stopping for them, but I made him drive on. I didn't like the looks of them one little bit. It seems that I was right. If we had done, we'd be investigating our murders by now. I was driving the firm's car. We're not allowed to give lifts, you see. <coughs> but I had a fairly good look at these two. One was uh, fair-haired, about five foot eight or so. Um, I was a good bit taller, probably somewhere around six feet. Uh, black hair, slender built, maybe about 30, I suppose, wearing an open-neck shirt. Oh, the younger one had on a school blazer. Northridge High School. By noon, Captain Wilson has received more than 50 telephone calls concerning the two hitchhikers. Remarkably few of the callers are able to give positive descriptions of the two men. But those that do describe them agree on the main points of identity. One man was of average height with fair hair and wearing a Northridge High School blazer. Three different callers make the same remark, that he seemed to be older than a schoolboy. The second man is described as tall, slender, with a thick mop of black hair. Captain Wilson reports back to Brigadier Lombard. We're making progress, sir. I've been in touch with the headmaster of Northridge, and he's going to let me have a list of all past pupils of the school answering to the younger man's description. All those that have left the school in the past five years, that is. Why five years? Well, sir, most scholars don't hang on to their school blazers. They invariably pass them on to the servants or hand them down to younger brothers. But those that do wouldn't be likely to keep them for, well, not much longer than five years. Mm, I see. You don't think it could have been a lad who's still at school, do you? Definitely not, sir. Three people I spoke to this morning made the same remark without any prompting from me that the man looked older than a schoolboy. I think he wore the blazer to better his chances of getting a lift. Quite a few people who wouldn't normally stop for a hitchhiker might stop for a school kid. Uh, quite so. But you'll have quite a list to check through, Captain. There must be hundreds of boys who left school in that time. But not all that many answering to this man's description, sir. It'll be narrowed down quite a lot. Yes, quite probably. And apart from that man with the beach cottage, nobody else gave those two a lift? No, sir. But there was a car stolen in Scotborough on Saturday night, recovered in Essenwood Road here in Durban on Sunday. I think that's how these two made their way back to town. 
Professional job on the car? No, sir. Very clumsy. They smashed in the small front window and made quite a mess of the car's wiring before they sorted out the ignition wires. I see. Anything else? You any ideas about these men? Well, sir, I think they've probably been on a holiday down in Margaret. Maybe just a few days. Anyway, I've asked the Margaret police to help us out on this. Make a check of all the hotels and rented rooms down there. See if any of the guests answer the description of the men we're after. They might come up with something. And in the meantime, you'll start checking the list that you get from the headmaster, eh? Yes, sir. I'll get on to that right away. The list proves more lengthy than Captain Wilson had anticipated. 31 names to check, and the knowledge that there'll surely be more than one address per person to check out before finding the men concerned. Most of the men on the list have moved away from their homes. Some have married and started families of their own. Captain Wilson starts at the top and methodically tracks down name after name. Tuesday, November the 13th, 6.29 p.m. In patrol car number 37, Captain Wilson sighs as he crosses off another name on a sheet of paper. No, I spoke to the lad's mother. He's been overseas on a study tour for the past two years, so that lets him out. Well, 18 down, 13 to go. Where to now, sir? Ah, uh, so look. Uh, 39 South Ridge Road, Michael Stewart. Left school three years ago. And keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Control to call 37. Come in, 37. Over. This is 37 Control. Captain Wilson here, over. Stand by, Captain. Brigadier Lombard wants to talk to you. I'm connecting you on three-way pickup. Brigadier Lombard. Control, sir. I'm connecting you with Captain Wilson. You connected with the car now, sir. Thank you, Control. Captain Wilson, you receive me. Over. Receive you loud and clear, sir. Over. I've just had a call from the Margate station. Looks like they turned up something good for you. There's a boarding house called the Duneside down there. They had two men staying there for a week left on Saturday. They answered a description of your hitchhikers. Take down these names. All right, sir. Daniel von Black, Peter Stein. See if you've got any names like that on your list. Over. Von Black. No, I don't think so. Ah, Stein, Peter. He's down here, all right, sir. We're heading for his address right away. The address on Captain Wilson's list proves to be that of Peter Stain's parents. Mr. Stain Sr. tells Captain Wilson that his son lives in a block of flats on the beachfront and that he has just returned from a holiday market. He informs the captain further that his son has been keeping company with a man of whom the parents disapprove strongly. A man of about six foot with black hair and slender build. Name, Daniel von Black. Captain Wilson and Constable Marcus head at once for the beachfront address. Better stand to one side, Constable, just in case. If these are the men we want, they'll be armed. All right, sir. He's taking his time answering, sir. Maybe he's not at home. Then we'll wait. Uh-huh. I hear someone coming now. Yes, what is it? Uh, Mr. Peter Stain? Uh, yes, yes, that's right. Captain Wilson, police. May I come in? Uh, uh, well, I don't... I mean, it's not very convenient. You've got someone with you? Yeah, that's right. It wouldn't be Mr. Van Blerk, would it? Hey, how, how did... You... We'd like to talk to him too, Mr. Stain. I think you'd better let us in. All right. 
But uh, I, I don't know what this is all about. We haven't told you yet. Thank you. Well, well, police. What have you been up to, Pete? They, they, they want to talk to us, Dan, but, but both of us. Well, uh, isn't that cozy, I suppose you've got some sort of identification, have you? I'm Captain Wilson. Here's right. my certificate of appointment. Oh, very pretty. So, what can we do for you? I think you know why we're here, Mr. Van Black. <laughs> Suddenly, uh, I'm psychic. I believe I've seen your face before, Van Black. In our files. Armed robbery, wasn't it? And assault with intent. <laughs> so I've got a record. A big deal. How old are you, Mr. Stain? Uh, I'm, I'm 20. Look, what's this... Did you think this was glamorous, being friends with a crook like Van Blurk here? You ought to have known how it would end up, Stain. Now you're in trouble. Big trouble. Stan, what... what, what, what shut we... Keep your mouth shut, you fool. You don't have to say anything to them. That's the law. Where's the watch, Stain? The watch? Ah, so it is in this room. You're not a very good actor. Your eyes flick it over in that direction, the wardrobe, eh? I, I, I don't know what... The damn it. They know. They know all about it. Bloody fool, you fool. Watch out, sir. He's gone. Oh, no, you... Don't you... Drop it, Fred Black. Drop it. I'll get you. No, you won't. Good work, Huntsville. Nice punch. He won't be giving us any more trouble, sir. He did it. He shot him. I beg him not to, but he just shot him. You can tell us all about it at the station, Mr. Stain. You can tell us all about it. to the General Motors Parade of Values, the greatest show on worth at your GM dealer now. Cash in and get a special deal on a brand new 1969 Ranger, Viva, Opal Record, or Cadet. Now, while the going's good, before they're all snapped up. So hurry, hurry, hurry to General Motors Parade of Values. It's the greatest show on worth. Peter Stane made a full confession and surrendered the wristwatch stolen from the murdered man. Daniel von Black made a countercharge, stating that Stane had been the killer. At their trial, the judge disbelieved von Black's story and accepted the facts according to Stane's confession. In his summing up, he said that the only point which had not been proved was intention to kill. He therefore gave them the benefit of this slender doubt and sentenced both men to life imprisonment. They prowl the empty streets at night, waiting, in fast cars, on foot, living with crime and violence. These men are on duty 24 hours out of every 24. They face dangers at every turn, expecting nothing less. They protect the people of South Africa. These are the men of Squad Cars. Listen again next Friday evening to another authentic story in our dramatic South African police series, Squad Cars. Brought to you by General Motors, makers of the biggest and most exciting range of cars, trucks and commercial vehicles in the world. Cadillac, Buick, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, Beaumont, Chevrolet, Opel, Holden, Vauxhall, Bedford, GMC and Ranger, South Africa's own car.